You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Live Different Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and today I'm here with Joe DiStefano. Joe, you have some crazy letters at the end of your name. CSCS, <laughs> that's got to be your strength and conditioning uh, certification. And then you have RKC, which I'll ask you about in a second, but you are the founder of Runga, a uh, off-the-grid experience designed to educate people on health and fitness and connect them with their full potential, as well as the director of sport at Spartan Race. I want to pick your brain on anything from breathing to kettlebells to obstacle course racing and uh, anything in between. So, Joe, welcome. Hey, thanks, Matt. I'm psyched to be here talking with you. And, uh, and yeah, the RKC, you know, I've taken a lot of classes, a lot of courses, a lot of continuing ed, but um, maybe we'll get into it. But I'm really proud of those three letters. Took me a long time to get that. Well, you might as well uh, <laughs> spill the beans. Don't keep us waiting in suspense. What's, uh, what are the RKC letters? Yeah, so it's the Russian Kettlebell Certification, which used to be called the Russian Kettlebell Challenge. And, um, it's a, it's an event that is extremely physical. It's three days. Uh, it's, it's brutal. And I actually had to take the course twice, um, in order to pass because the end of this course just gets so physical. And it's one of the few events, certifications, continuing education, uh, programs out there that truly not everyone gets a trophy. You know, you can be, you can be the smartest guy in the room, but if you can't, put it on the line and perform at a really high level, then um, you're not going to be, you're not going to pass. And that's what happened to me. I made it 83% of the way and, um, and, and broke down about four years ago. So just about a year ago, I retook the class and, and, um, and passed with, with what I consider flying colors. And I was super excited about it. Nice. Uh, Joe, actually, I heard you tell this story um, somewhere on a podcast before. It might have been on Ben Greenfield's show, but there's some certain number of uh, kettlebell snatches maybe that you have to do with a ridiculous high uh, amount of weight. Can you tell us what the challenge actually is to, to pass the course? Yeah. So the exit exam, and again, you know, you have to perform every major kettlebell movement throughout the weekend in absolutely flawless form. So, um, the Turkish get up, the swing, the snatch, the, the clean, the press, um, in, in extremely flawless, um, uh, in an extremely flawless form, but also abide by all the safety precautions, how you put the bell down, how you put the bell up. These are all judged and you can fail the class just by picking the bell up prior to even performing a movement if you pick it up incorrectly. Uh, but the exit exam is the snatch test. And what it is, is you have a hundred reps to do and you have to do it in under five minutes. And males, males use between a 22 and a 24 kilogram kettlebell, um, which is, yeah, 53 pounds for a 24 kilo, which is the standard. And then uh, guys under 150, I believe, are able to use 22 kilo, um, which is still extremely heavy. And doesn't matter if you're 160 pounds or 260 pounds, uh, the weights are the same. And so that's sort of the old Russian uh, style of, uh, of kettlebells is that you know, in my opinion, the way I've interpreted this and the way that I teach is uh, the kettlebell is the teacher. You're not the teacher. So if you want to get into kettlebells and you say, I'm going to use a light weight, like something like a 12 kilo or an eight kilo weight, um, 
you you're becoming the teacher, but you've got a lot to learn from the bell. So the way that I um, have kind of been taught and the way that I teach kettlebells is the weight is the teacher. And you always actually want to use as much weight as possible uh, in order to abide and, and learn in order to get all the lessons that are that are there for the taking. But the most important aspect here is if you use a really light weight that you can control, you develop horrible habits, not only sort of that the eye can see, but also just from a muscular activation standpoint that can cause you to plateau really, really hard later. So um, the good the good news is just buy fewer kettlebells, make sure they're heavy and start you know, with exercises. You don't need 50 different exercises. You need a few that you can really practice well and do, do consistently and, and let your fitness kind of go from there. But um, don't try to be the teacher. No, that that makes a lot of sense, and I want to dive into to some uh, some of the strategies and and tactics, of course, behind kettlebell training. But first, I wanted to kind of zoom out a little bit, and and it, and it sounds like you're an avid traveler, and uh, that you've had a long journey in health and fitness. So, can you tell us where you've come from uh, on your journey? Yeah, you know, a uh, little bit of a loaded question, you know, and I think one of the big things about you know, whether it's my career, where I've been, where I've traveled is just, you know, the one thing I've kind of um, uh, always lived by is like, I'm not trying to force anything. I'm kind of letting the letting the world take me where it wants to go and not and not try to say, uh, this is what I want to be. And this is what I want to do. And I think um, that's been sort of the result has been just where I've where I've kind of ended up and where I found myself. So, um, you know, growing up, I played baseball as a kid. Um, long story short, I ended up having a horrific injury um, when I was entering my teens, which is I fractured my skull and had to get surgery and have a plate in my head and all this other stuff. And, and that really messed up my my neck and, and kind of shoulder girdle as it relates to uh, posture and, and muscular activation and tension and everything else. So um, got through it. You know, we, we have really robust um, compensatory systems. So I didn't really have any issues for a decade after the injury. And then um, all of a sudden, um, you know, Peter came to collect from Paul and I started having a lot more problems. So that was one of the big things is that when I um, when I went to college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I, um, I stumbled into a guy named Dr. Jeff Godin that really got me into running, which I had never really done before. And, um, and then about halfway through college, I started having these complications, um, relating to my head injury that had happened quite a few years prior. And that really catapulted sort of the, the lenses that I saw what I was learning in my exercise science undergrad from, um, uh, the next big kind of milestone was my my father had a heart attack um, in 2001, and um, I grew up in a very health conscious household, and we had salad at every meal, and we only drank water, but we also had this super high carb refined diet because we were following the food pyramid that everyone else was in the 80s and 90s. Um, so my dad has a heart attack, and and the doctor says to him, you know, hey, uh, you know, Jerry, you can kiss the eggs and steak goodbye. And it was kind of funny because even as a as a young young kid, I'm like, well, that's not going to be hard. You don't eat that stuff anyway. And so, sort of those two things were sort of these huge kind of milestones in my life that kind of got me thinking really outside the box. Like, if steak causes heart attacks, how did my dad have a heart attack? Um, and then for me, when I started to really go down the rabbit hole of mass of kind of improving my neurological state and my my function, um, I stumbled into ketosis and and stumbled into um, the risks of refined diets and just the effects 
effects it can have on people. And, and those two things kind of took me on this journey and I found breathing, you know, I never really considered myself into yoga, but, um, I found breath through completely obscure means, um, ended up, uh, being, being taught a few breathing exercises that had almost immediate impact on me. And, um, and yeah, that just kind of, kind of catapulted the journey in 2000. Uh, 10, I, I stumbled onto a guy named Joe and, uh, he had just started a company called the Spartan race and I thought it was interesting and I really liked the, the physicality of it and how it kind of kept my mind occupied because I was kind of into running, but I was getting sick of it because it was so monotonous and, um, and I was really into flipping tires and doing strength stuff. Uh, and those two worlds were kind of separate. And then all of a sudden there was this you know, 5k event where you had to pick up heavy stuff and carry it up a ski mountain and, and throw a spear and do all these things that I did as a kid, just jumping over mud. And, um, I really fell in love with it. So, um, I wanted to kind of help Joe in any way I could. And eventually in 2012, 2013, it was really growing quickly and I was able to come on full steam and, and here we are. And, um, the last thing I'll say is that hockey stick of Spartan. So Spartan went from this little, you know, eight guys sitting around a table to a multinational million participant sport in just a handful of years. Um, and during that time, you know, the folks that were involved in the company, we were on planes. I mean, I was on something like 70 flights in 10 months and, and that's international travel. And that's actually ironically how Runga came about because I was just so burnt out by the end of the year that I said, you know, I got to go off the grid. I got to like, you know, leave the cell phone behind and really just kind of work in. I've been working out, you know, not just literally, but also just in my lifestyle for 10 months now. And I got nothing left. I, I you know, the tank is empty. So um, went down to Costa Rica uh, for the first time that I had been there and went off the grid with just a handful of friends. And, and then I, I had such a rebound in just eight days that, um, I decided that the world needed this, so I tried to invite people the next year, and here we are, I don't know, five years later, and we're, we're pushing 60 people a year through Runga. So um, that's that's about it, my man. I think uh, that sums it up, but it's uh, it's been quite a journey. It's been a ton of fun, and um, I'm hoping to see, you know, I can't wait to see what happens next. We'll see. Awesome. I, I don't even know where to begin after all that. There's so many places uh, that I want to pick your brain about here. Uh, I'd like to go back uh, to what you said about your father because you and I actually have very similar stories. I grew up in a healthy household as well that followed the good old food pyramid, and uh, my mom read prevention magazine every every week that, that little <laughs> tiny book that's still in publication mm -hmm. that would come or maybe every month i don't know when it circulated um but we were the the typical you know we were the standard american diet but the healthy version and still people today and many many doctors today still don't you know can't get away from that they just have not uh updated their depth of knowledge on on nutrition and so i i'd like to dive in there for a second i mean i went to the doctor here in costa rica i had a, a strange rash under my eye and I went to the doctor etc and um this is a doctor that I really like, and I think that he fixes people up pretty good. Uh, granted, we're in Costa Rica here and not in the United States, but he told me two things. He told me, one, um, he said, no, there's no way what you have could be fungal. And 
I just, everything that I read was like, okay, if it's anything flaky or dandruff, you should look at fungal. He's like, no, no, that, that can't be it. So I said, okay, there's one thing that, there's one red flag. And the other thing, I told him I ate a lot of avocados and he told me to watch my cholesterol. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's unfortunately, it's the same sad story. Uh, my grandfather has Alzheimer's and my dad has Parkinson's. And so, uh, clearly neurological disease does run in my family, but there's things that you can do to shut these genes off and protect yourself uh, through through diet. So could you could you talk a little bit more about how we're trying to get away from uh, what the really what the government, in, in my opinion, has plagued us with by by misinformation? Right, right. And it, it is, you know, it's a it's a dangerous it's a slippery slope. It's dangerous. Um I don't know, conversation, really. It's just, see, for, for so many folks, you know, again, you know, the doctor in Costa Rica, I don't know how old he is, but, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And I think sometimes it's just so, you know, it's been so long, but, um, uh, God, I don't even know where to begin, Matt. He's but okay, younger let me, let me... than I am. He's younger than oh, I am. Geez. I couldn't even believe it. And, and granted, right. I understand in the United States that they, doctors really do not get much nutrition at all. But right. and they're they're there to fix a problem, not to prevent these problems. So I understand, but to, to, tell yeah. me your point of view, it's, would you please? Yeah, like you just said, you know, like the definition to a lot of docs, the definition of health is absence of sickness, and and when that's your definition, then uh, you're it's a slippery slope. I recall when my dad, a couple of years after the heart attack, he ended up with throat cancer and he was in the hospital and, you know, was, you know, obviously he's dealing with some stuff. And I was making these really amazing organic sprouted, um, you know, super high vibe, as we would say in Venice, California, uh, smoothies for him. And the doc was like, that's, you know, your son's wasting his time and money just drinking. Sure. It's the same. It's, you know, it's uh, a couple of grams of fat, some, you know, some sugar and some protein. And so that to me was just the most appalling thing I had oh ever heard God. when you're saying that 20 grams of carbohydrate from corn syrup is the same as 20 grams of carbohydrate from carrots <laughs> or, or something like that. So there's just this sort of paralysis on macronutrients with no regard for, for kind of what's really behind them. Um, but I think that also, you know, the, the real issue here is that this is a, this is, you know, kind of chaos theory. There are so many variables that the docs, you know, they can have success in whatever they're trying to achieve with people eating a horrible standard American diet, because ultimately there's more to the equation. There's, um, when I was rehabbing this head injury, you know, when I was 24 for the record, they told me I was going to be quote Michael J. Fox by 30. And the reason was, is because I had, which is a, which is called a dystonia, which is essentially a Parkinson's, uh, Parkinson's family disorder. You know, they, the way it was explained to me is Michael J. Fox has bad luck and Muhammad Ali got hit in the head too many times and you got hit in the head really hard. And so, um, when I was, when I was rebounding from that, that was really the first taste to a lot of different things. But I had a doctor named Dr. Prococo who's in the Boston area. And one day he sat me down and he kind of smacked me in the face, not, not literally, but figuratively. And he said, you know, no one's, no one's doing this for you. Like, you know, you can't just show up, go through rehab, like you, you know, because it's something to do and you want to check the box. Like you have to want to be here. You have to know you can get somewhere. You have to know that this is going to work and it requires your 
your belief, your passion, your intent. Everything you do, every step you take requires intent. And if you're just going through the motions, you're not going to get anywhere. And I think that what that did is it really transcended kind of how the attitude I took into that quote rehab that at the time wasn't really working. I was only getting worse. And after that day, things I started doing the same exact stuff and things started to get better. And so ultimately, no matter what your diet is, like even if you decided to eat what the doctor told you to eat and you really believed your cholesterol was going to go down or that avocados were the problem, honestly, at some level that would work. And I think there's been enough, uh, enough patience in that doctor's Rolodex to substantiate kind of what he's saying at times. And ultimately he does want what's best for you. And that's kind of the big thing is that there's this misinformation, there's this miseducation. There are billions of dollars in interest in, an interest for people eating a very specific way and eating high volumes of low cost foods and and low volumes of uh, of high cost foods uh, because you know every every vegetable has a shelf life and cornflakes don't have shelf lives so there's just so much money involved and then you have doctors that you know they went through their education I had a I had a dietitian at my house that left my house and has not been back a couple of years ago because we got in such a heated argument and I, you know, maybe I had a little too much dry farm wines, but I told her like your degree is the problem because now you're recommending people eat sugar because you have a degree that says it's okay. And you're trying to, you telling somebody to eat sugar, it's not, it's, it's, it's your belief, but it's also everything that you've dedicated your life to. And I can't imagine somebody that went to school to say that they're a registered dietitian or that they're an MD that, um, that all of a sudden wants to, to say something that, that makes that degree a sham or, or makes that degree less than they believe it is, or, or listen to somebody like you or me that doesn't have that qualification, um, as to how they should eat. But, um, but the other thing is, Matt, is I think that, um, just from a symptomatic standpoint, you know, I had a rash my whole life on the back of my neck and it got really bad in high school. It was embarrassing. It was like a psoriasis. And within like a week of cutting gluten, uh, it went away for the first time in 25 years. And it's funny because I never associated that. No doc, no skin doc, no med medical doctor, no one. It was like, use this shampoo, use this cream, do this, do that, say 25 Hail Marys, like whatever it was. And all I had to do was give up bread for a week and a rash that I had for 20 years just went away. So um, a lot of times the symptoms of these horrible foods that you and I grew up with, they're not – they're not. you can't just point your finger at diet being the problem. So there's really kind of a host of issues, right, um, that surround this thing. But um, but yeah, it's, a, it's an unfortunate um, – it's an unfortunate sort of paradigm where we're trying to break out. But there's, it's just such a chaotic thing and, and 10 different people are going to have 10 different results that it's hard to, to really move the needle or, or convince billions of dollars or billions of doctors uh, that, that there's another way to think. If, um, no, that I, I hear what you're saying there, Joe. And uh, of course, this is a massive topic that we could talk about all day. But I, I'd love to go back to what you said about belief and mindset that you need to be able to overcome these things and that doctor who sat you down and slapped you around a little bit and it's not just good enough to go through the motions and especially with a lot of these neurological diseases where depression is one of the symptoms right uh right. that's that's such a hard thing to get someone motivated to to go and do the research and and get to the gym or or uh, start shopping at Whole Foods and do the things that they need to do. But how can you know? Would you have any advice for for listeners who are out there that are trying to 
harness that mindset, maybe so that it could be a, a healthy habit for their life rather than just, you know, okay, I'm sick and now I have to start these habits. Then, then the battles, then it's really hard to overcome that battle if you have to change your entire life once you get sick. But if you're, if you harness the mindset now so that if you are in one of these unfortunate situations, then you, at least you have a shot. What, what would you say on the mindset front? Yeah, yeah, Matt, you know, and this is this is again, this is this is my story. So I was, you know, dealing with some issues myself and 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 checking boxes, but but there was something missing. And I say, you know, Dr. Prococo hit the nail on the head when he said my intent and my belief and my purpose, all those things were what was missing. But in reality, if I was to kind of say structurally what was missing, it was breath. So I start, you know, I did a TED talk on this and, you know, I start by saying, you know, you can go three weeks without food. You can go three days without water. You can go a heck of a long time without exercise, but you can go three minutes without air. And the thing that kills us the fastest is the thing we don't care about <laughs> is the thing that falls down the priority list. And the thing that we can go the longest without food always trumps us, always, always takes our focus away. Or if I'm, if I'm not exercising, it's like, I gotta, I gotta exercise like an Olympic athlete tomorrow if I want to do something. So to me, you know, if we look at, you know, I don't want to kind of always go and, and revert to this flight or fight response, but, but ultimately our, our intent, our purpose, our belief, our vision of the world depends on the state of our nervous system. And I have very rarely met a member of the general population that has a quality breath pattern, that has quality movement of the diaphragm or, or expansion in the areas we want to expand in the torso. And, and when you think about, again, that sort of domino effect, when you take a proper breath, you massage your adrenals. When you take a proper breath, you exhale toxins. When you take a proper breath, you really can kind of control uh, your, your internal environment that is the environment you're making decisions from. You can improve your digestion. You can do just about anything you need to do, harnessing breath and really mastering breath. And, and if I was to say that somebody is lacking belief or intent or, or just that drive, then just start with breath. Start what's going to kill you the fastest. Don't try to say exercise is the place to start. Don't say food's the place to start. Don't even say water's the place to start. The place to start is is controlling your breath and and kind of respecting the the power that it has because it can really truly change your entire outlook and uh, and make a heck of a lot uh, make a heck of a lot of excuse me make a lot of the other things a heck of a lot easier. It's a lot easier to exercise. When you when you're in a relaxed parasympathetic state, but when I'm when I'm worried about my boss and I haven't taken a proper exhalation in in a couple months or years, uh, it's hard to sneak that in and believe it's going to do something for me. So I think that's my recommendation, Matt. Okay, cool. So so Joe, if somebody wants to start breathing and they they don't have a uh, practice uh, a breathing practice right now whether it's you know there's a ton out there right now when it comes to Wim Hof, uh, Hof or uh, different pranayama in yoga or uh, there's holotropic breathing where you can actually hallucinate and then there's uh, butenko, this butenko method I think I'm pronouncing it right that I've looked into a little bit I mean there's a lot of different methods out there that are, are proven scientifically to uh, increase or to to uh, make you healthier by so many different metrics, but where's the easiest place to start? Could you get someone off the right foot who who has not had this practice yet? 
lie on your back, put your feet on a chair, and blow up balloons. Ah, okay. So all those methods, you know, a lot of times we like to build constructs around ideas. Ultimately, everyone's trying to focus on what? Breathing. So whether I exhale for five seconds or whether I hold it for 10 seconds or whether I do 30 quick breaths, like whatever it is, it's all breath. And right now you're not doing it right. So so it's it's funny how there's more in common with all the different modalities out there. And by the way, you know, we before we started recording this, we were start we were talking about free diving and and it's funny because Runga, this event that I that I've put on the last bunch of years, it's all people that I meet in my travels that are doing the exact same thing from different approaches. So in other words, we have Kundalini yoga, which is a hugely uh, breath focused form of yoga. We have free diving, which is a hugely breath form of, of scuba diving without equipment. We have kettlebell training, which the safety of your spine depends on proper breathing. So ultimately everything in, in Runga appears to be different, but at, at its core, it's the same. And it's a dynamic meditation that focuses around breath. Um, so I just think that when we, when we do this, when we look at anything, you know, don't get caught up in all the acute variables, reps and sets and time, but just take, take for what it is. A lot of things like, like martial arts or yoga, they've been around 5,000 years. They all have slightly different practices around breathing, but ultimately breathing is the core. So right now, if we just focus on a quality full inhale and a quality full exhale, which is the hardest thing for most people, then do that for a while before you, you know, before you start going way into the trenches of a specific form of breathing that's been kind of constructed with with businesses around it, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. Um, so the reason why I say blow up balloons is that exhalation is the issue for most people. It's not inhalation because the body's really good at inhalation, no matter how dysfunctional you are. And you can look at people's postures. The body is focused on getting air in more so than it is getting toxins out because I care about surviving the next three minutes. I don't really care about the next 30 years right now. Does that make sense? That's kind of how our body approaches the world. And so a lot of us from both a functional and postural standpoint, we get locked in inhalation. Our body gets so focused on need air, need air, need air, that we lose the ability to have a proper exhale. And so when I started working with people a whole bunch of years ago, um, I started having to blow up balloons. And lying on your back blowing up a balloon is really challenging to do if you've got severely limited breath or, or, or a lot of diaphragmatic sort of amnesia is, is what I've heard it called. Um, so if you lie on your back, put your feet on a chair just to support the weight of your limbs with the end goal to eventually get rid of the chair and suspend your legs. But I don't want you to recruit a bunch of um, kind of uh, superficial muscles to keep your legs up. I don't want it to be a plank. I want this to be relaxed like a six-month-old lying on the floor with their legs in the air. Um, so line your back and blow up balloons really purposefully, maybe five or six balloons four or five times and do that each morning and, and see what kind of impact it has on sort of your emotional state and, and your worldview, I guess. But um, yeah, it's a recommendation. Uh, Joe, you said a quality breath. What exactly is a quality breath? Man, so this is a, this is a bigger, I mean, this is a bigger world than nutrition. You know, it's so funny how we, we again, we have so many opinions. And, and what's funny is they're all right, Matt. They're all right. I'm not going to argue with uh, a kundalini yoga instructor. I'm not going to argue with a martial artist that's practicing or, or teaching in a, a form of martial arts that's been around for 5,000 years. So here's the deal. Everybody's right. It's just a matter of, of, of how you do it. And I think a line, you know, if you're gonna kind of get into it, I think that, um, 
Uh, you can have success. I guess this is a disclaimer. You can have success through any system, but um, where it gets dangerous is when you try to take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Um, my my philosophy on breathing is rooted in um, something called developmental uh, kinesiology, and it's the primary focus of a group from Prague called um, the DNS, Dynamic Neuromuscular Stabilization. And, and that's rooted, like I said, in developmental kinesiology, which basically means how does a six-month-old breathe? How does a six-month-old baby breathe? Uh, because they've got no structural kind of abnormalities. They've got no tight hips. They've got no you know, uh, high school injuries that they're, they're bringing into their, uh, the way they hold their neck. They've got no preoccupation. They've got no work stress. They don't have a lot going on. There's, they're pretty pure. And so what happens when they breathe? Well, when they breathe, they don't chest breathe. They don't breathe into your chest like a, like a 40-year-old desk jockey does. They don't belly breathe. They don't breathe just into their stomach like a lot of kind of yoga practices and things like that. They rather get this sort of 360-degree expansion of the torso. So if a baby were to take the biggest breath they possibly could, uh, you would see expansion from not only the front of their body, not only the top of their ribcage, not only the bottom of their ribcage, but you would see expansion in the, in the sides and in the rear of their body as well. And that's a proper breath to me. When we take a proper breath, we should get – we should feel air kind of filling everything from our hip flexors uh, to eventually the top of our chest and shoulders, but we should also feel a little something in our back. And that's the most important piece, the sides and the back getting some kind of expansion, some kind of movement because, uh, well, we're 70% we're water. Um, when water is still or stagnant, it gets unhealthy and gross like a swamp. And when we think about our bodies being 70% water, all our organs being 70% water, that full expansion is actually what's kind of moving them around. It's it That's what's kind of moving the water around, so to speak. So if we're breathing just in the chest or just to the front, we're neglecting some of those organs in the back that like that little massage of really full expansion of the lungs and, and torso. And specifically as it relates to the sort of world we're living in, your adrenals sit right on top of your kidneys. And in a proper breath, they're going to move a centimeter, two centimeters, up to three centimeters depending on the person. But an improper breath, they don't get any of that sort of relief. They don't get any of that sort of massage. And so you can imagine, you know, just like a swamp, what's going to get unhealthy? Well, the areas that aren't getting any love. So uh, that's a, a breath for me. That's a proper breath for me is one that expands the entire torso. Uh, now, if I'm doing kundalini and I'm doing fire breathing, I might take a slightly different approach. So there's sort of a uh, there's sort of a mix. But for the average person, we want that full diaphragmatic, old school six month old breath. Awesome, yeah, it makes sense. It's one of my favorite things to do is watch my little nieces who just turned four, and you know, watch them running around on the ground and how they squat and how they move and and how they breathe. Like you said, it's it's pretty amazing to watch developmentally, as as you mentioned, uh, Joe. I wanted to move on from breath, and I wanted to ask you: Don't you know that excessive travel and running and Spartan racing? is bad for you tell me tell me about that you must know that oh my it is now uh so well you know what's so funny is a guy a guy asked me in panama um at runga this year he's like you know what's your 
end game because basically, you know, to his in his perspective, like nothing I do is kind of by chance. Like the way I make coffee, I don't use a paper filter because it's not so cool. Uh, when we when we do this, we we do it this way. And when I do breathing exercise, I do them this way. And he's just sort of like like how he's like how good do you feel? Like like what's your upper limit? Like when are you going to be done? <laughs> and it's it's it was such it was such a funny question, but. The answer is, you know, you're never done. And the idea here is you just want to keep keep as many pieces of your life kind of supporting the end game of being as healthy as possible as you can possibly control, even in the context of huge icebergs in that that system. So a bunch of years ago when I started Runga, yeah, I was eating airport healthy which is a completely different way to eat than I do now. I was, you know, maybe occasionally, uh, you know, grabbing something to help me on the flight, maybe taking a lot of like vitamin C and, you know, doing things that I thought would help with all the travel. But what's funny is now I can travel successfully without, without a lot of this stuff because I have so many other pieces. This is an idea that I refer to as cumulative stress load. And all of a sudden right now I could probably eat a huge chunk of wheat and I don't think it would give me the rash in the back of my neck. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago, I would have. But now I've gotten that cumulative stress load so low that certain amounts of things don't affect you as poorly. So that's sort of the idea is like the more boxes you can check in every realm, uh, the more you can tolerate when you have these unavoidable icebergs in your life. I mean, my life would be maybe I would live a little bit longer if I stayed home and meditated eight hours a day instead of flying to Panama or Japan or wherever else I might go. Um, but ultimately, that's the lifestyle I'm choosing to live. So what outside of that? Everything that's in my circle of influence, in my control, what can I do to mass like what can I do to to alleviate the damage done by these things I'm not willing to change? And um, I think I think that's the answer to the question. It's it's to realize that there's no such thing as a free lunch. You're always borrowing from Peter to pay Paul or whatever the expression is. Um, so you got to keep that in mind. You can't come off of an international flight and go out drinking. You can't um, you know you can't skip 15 meals a week and and expect to perform at a high level. Um, so so I guess that's the answer, Matt. I hope that's. No, that that makes perfect sense, and I want to make sure the the listener uh, knows what we're talking about here. You know, just doing lots and lots of cardio or j f making lots and lots of international flights. You know, it's it's not healthy for you. You're not supposed to just be seated for so many hours, and uh, you're not. You know, that's you're being exposed to tons of radiation, and you're in a little tiny box with tons and tons of uh, germs from all over the world. And there, there's there's lots of different reasons, right, why this is stress on your body. To, changing time zones, uh, right. throwing off your circadian rhythm. You know, there, some people probably listening to this might be saying, well, what do you mean running is bad? But a consistent, uh, a consistent cardio exercise, right? If you're going out and doing 10, 15 miles every single day, you're, you're really beating your body up. You're not doing yourself too many favors there where all of the research now is showing, saying that this high intensity interval training is much better for you because you're giving your body some time to rest and short bursts of exercise to keep yourself sharp, right? But not just beating yourself down every single day. And, and even all of the, the stuff that, uh, 
you do, I, you know, I notice on your, your Instagram, you've got everything from uh, cold baths and all sorts of, uh, you mentioned, you know, not eating and skipping meals and, and probably you've practiced intermittent fasting before, but you can't do that stuff every day because that stresses your body in a certain, in a certain way. So I wanted to, I wanted to mention that just to be crystal clear with the listener, uh, but also you mentioned earlier something that I first heard from a guy named Paul Check working in <laughs> versus working out. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Matt. And and yeah, spot on. If, if you saw my house, it's not it's not your average place. It's you know, people probably wouldn't know what half this crap is. So um so absolutely. Uh, the pendulum swings and we can always go too far. I just went to a fit convention here in LA last weekend and never has it been so clear that there's a difference between health and fitness uh, whether I'm a runner and I'm running a thousand miles a year whatever the number is 10 miles a day what your example was um, the pendulum swings so that was good to a point but uh, at a point there's diminishing returns and on the other end of the spectrum when we think about this quote fitness thing um, you know fitness used to be how long you can live and how successfully you can procreate now it's um, you know how big your bicep is and how tan you are apparently right. so I think that um, I have never seen like we're talking a 60,000 person fitness convention and uh, it took my girlfriend and I, an hour to find one thing that we would eat in an expo hall of, you know, a thousand 10 by 10 booths of, of different performance quote fitness products. Um, so it's a, it's a toxic environment there. So, uh, long story. So working in, working out, Paul checks the man I went through. So when I finished my undergrad, um, I was very, you know, I was educated again and, and protective of that education, eating wheat bread and, uh, low fat and all this other stuff. And, but I was battling this sort of head trauma issue, right? Like not being able to walk in a really straight line was like my big thing. I couldn't do it. And, um, I decided one of my docs recommended, um, Paul check. Um, and so I went in and I actually signed up for his holistic, holistic lifestyle coach program, which I don't know, it was a three or four or five day event. Um, and that was the first place. This was like, Oh, six, Oh seven. And, um, that was the first place where, you know, Paul check. It was actually, you know, who taught my seminars, JP Sears really? and, uh, JP Sears, who I almost had to pick my jaw up off the floor about a year ago when I stumbled onto his new stuff, because back in the day, I'm going to blow him up here back in the day. That was the most, I referred to him as like the most spiritual dude I've ever met. Like he was like the, this guy that, you know, everything he said was like, like it was being whispered right into your ear. And, and like, he was totally like, the opposite of me and um god like i would refer to him as just like you know the most calm person i'd ever met this guy that everything he said was like you know it was like god talking to you in this super calm voice like this is what you need to do and he that was him and uh yeah so anyways when i saw his new stuff i started laughing because i was like it looks like the pendulum swung like he swung so that way that i think he kind of is finding his way back because now he's still – I'm sure he contain, He still has a lot of the same beliefs and he probably has a lot of the same practices he did back then. But he's he's created a more sort of digestible way to, to communicate that and one that's maybe more in line with his highest alignment, which is probably comedy and, and whatever else. Um, so that's the Paul Check thing. But yeah, working in, working out. So 
we have this sort of, I think of recovery, exercise, lifestyle, and a guy named Bobby Maximus out of Utah, um, he taught me, his name, real name's Rob, but his Instagram is Bobby Maximus. Uh, he taught me this idea. One day we were working, I'm like, dude, like I can't hang with you for more than four or five days because you train so hard that I build up so much debt into my recovery that like I can't come back for two and a half weeks after four days with you. I can't come back for a month. And, um, and he's like, well, you know, you got to kind of look into your performance bank account. And he's like, you know, if you foam roll, you know, that's a, that's a credit. If you get a massage, that's a credit. If you sleep over four hours during the day, or I don't know what is it, if you take a 20 minute nap, that's, that's a credit. If you get eight full hours of sleep a night, that's a credit. If you, uh, if you don't, if you avoid bad food, that's a credit. And meanwhile, every set of deadlift is a debit. Every set, every, every set of burpees is a, is a debit. And so it kind of, and he's like, you got to balance your checkbook. So if you look at that, and that's kind of what I was saying with cumulative stress load, I might get off a flight for 13 hours, which the radiation is just outrageous. But yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to have some kind of sulfur rich foods. I'm going to jump in an ice bath. I'm going to hit my juve. I'm going to do some low, low intensity, low impact exercise. I'm going to try to do some things to kind of get myself going and counteract and balance that checkbook. Um, but yeah, so in the modern world, whether it's everything from eating microwave food to, uh, to doing burpees, those are all things that are kind of expending energy. That's working out. Uh, working in is 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 crediting the bank account. So meditation, breathing exercise. He has his um, his exercises. God, the name is escaping me now. Zone exercises. So uh, exercises that are specific to the different chakras of the body. So this sort of debit and credit is probably the most digestible way to think about working in versus working out. What are you doing for the mindset? What are you doing for the internal environment? What are you doing for the muscles you can't see in the mirror? Uh, as opposed to what are you doing on the outside? What are you piling on? on um and what are you shoveling off if that makes sense no that makes a lot of sense and first of all that's hilarious about jp sears he actually lives in the same town in costa rica as i do and we've never met i, I know his girlfriend very well uh but it's yeah it's really funny that that he was teaching your i you know i didn't know about him until his comedy until uh, i heard that he was in town and making videos etc but uh yeah i'd never met him so that's that's really funny when i eventually do here i'll uh yeah, I'll bring that up with him. I think that's that's really funny. And also the yeah, the work in workout. I really like your cumulative stress load and yeah, you got to know you can't go through that CrossFit wad the day before uh, or the morning before you're hopping on that international flight and then come off and jack yourself up on coffee and try to go and and go straight to work or whatever that you need to do. So yeah, I appreciate your, your point of view on, on that, Joe. Um, I, I wanted to, yeah, wanted to, to actually pick your brain a little bit on your travel hacks. You, you mentioned some weird stuff that right there, I, I'm not <laughs> sure what it all was, but, uh, I, I'd love if you had a, a few that w might be accessible to everyone listening here. Um, and yeah, what, what do you got for us? All right. Maybe I, maybe I should start with taking your shoes off, taking your socks off and making sure your feet are in contact with metal the entire flight to, to ground your radiation. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so 
so yeah, you know, there's so much we can do. And again, I think that the biggest thing is just decreasing or, or, or balancing that checkbook and lowering the cumulative stress load before you go on a trip. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing worse than the guy that goes on vacation and gets sick the first day. And that's, that's your body saying, you know, you, you know, you've been in debt, you, we've been wanting to get sick for a while and we haven't really had a chance to get sick until you went on vacation. And so now you're, you know, now you're going to ruin your Bahamas vacation or whatever. Um, so I just think that setting the table, setting the stage, you know, the week before a long trip or something like that, just do a little extra meditation stuff, you know, keep your exercise volume low, make sure you're getting enough sleep so you can afford, uh, the, the inevitable debits of travel. Um, second to that, you know, immune system is key. You're going to be locked in this tube, uh, with a million other people for the next three, five, 10 hours, whatever, whatever it is. So like, what can we do? And I think one of my, one of my favorite things to do is just, um, is take oregano oil. Uh, I use a, a product, um, that's actually Ben Greenfield has a new company called Kion, Kion, and he makes this really good oregano oil that I use that basically, uh, it's an, it's an antiseptic. It's a, it's a germ killer. And, um, I'll actually drop a few drops into some water and get it down into my stomach where, you know, that's where a lot of sickness starts. Um, and then I'll also do an extra drop or two a few times throughout the flight and swish it around my mouth. And so, what you're doing there is like if germs enter that oregano oil should and by the way you're going to be super popular on the plane when you got the oregano oil in your mouth you kind of smell like a pizza but you know maybe the guy next to you is eating pizza and you can kind of disguise it um but uh but yeah that's a, a great little hack just keep the germs from coming in or kill them if they do um and and that's a, a quick one uh when you get off the plane uh if you're traveling to different time zones especially uh you kind of you kind of want to get grounded so in the first you know, day, um, I'll make a real effort to kind of get barefoot and walk around some, some natural ground. So grass, as an example, if you get to your hotel, uh, just walk around in the grass with bare feet, uh, for four or five minutes and you'd be surprised how grounding it is. You can almost, I can feel it. I can feel the difference. And, um, that's, those are two of probably the most simple things you can do. Um, and then aside from that, you know, just eat super healthy. So I mentioned sulfur rich foods. So things like garlic, onions, cauliflower, these are foods that you want to kind of um, opt for when you get off a plane because they can kind of help counteract some of the some of the damage done, some of the, the radiation and germs. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I think I think that if I was to I think I'd wrap it up there, man, I think that's kind of the the crash course. Um, but the big thing is, is just always maintaining that that balance checkbook. No, those those are great places to start, and I I gotta ask you about the uh, the grounding yourself to the metal with your with your shoe off. Where you uh, okay? So I've done this personally, and I don't <laughs> I don't do it every flight, but because I've heard this tip a few times, uh, I think well, you know what? It, it can't hurt. Is the plane really grounded? I get it if the plane gets struck to electricity, and and the jury's still out. I think about grounding in general, but but hell. It, it can't hurt you know walking walking in the grass or getting in the ocean is very grounding whether or not there's a electron flow or, or or a charge uh coming out of your body or into your body do you do the thing with the with your foot on the metal so if i have flip-flops on i'm going foot on the metal and i'm not gonna like go too crazy with it you know if there's someone next to me maybe and i got shoes and socks i'm not gonna be the guy that takes his socks off on a flight i don't think I don't, you know i want to be respectful but um if i got flip-flops and i'm coming back from panama and it's an easy fix i can fall asleep with my feet there my friend eric remensberger told me about that and so i kind of uh, i kind of do it in his um 
you know, with his uh, energy in mind. But yeah, that's that's not probably not the place to start. I don't do it every flight, but um, it's in the back of my mind. It's one of those things that can't hurt, and it's it's one of those things that those little things like let's say it does nothing, or let's say it does like the tiniest fraction of benefit for you and 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 alleviates one percent of the damage a flight does or less if you do 20 of those things then now you're at 20 percent and if they're low lift and you don't feel like a weirdo if you're worried about that and you don't like have to there's no cost associated both literally or figuratively then why not like hey let's just do this weird stuff and you know be the guy that that's the weirdo on the plane that everyone's looking at um so I guess I guess that's it. Like, how many of these little things can we just give a shot to? And we're not going to hang our hat on them and say, you know, you're going to make a world of difference by doing this. But again, if it does a little bit, you do a lot of those little things, then you know it'll probably add up and contribute to uh, contis- consistently raising the bar and, and seeing how healthy you can get. Yeah, absolutely. You got to bank those little ones away and and call them little wins. You made an effort. Yeah, I wear my my eleven dollar. Uh, uvex blue blockers on the plane and i get it's hilarious i get so many damn compliments on those glasses i mean they're <laughs> literally the ugliest glasses ever uh yeah and yeah but people people compliment me but i want the i don't want those blue lights blasting me in the face especially in the airport and then it's it's even funnier when the when people come up and compliment me are those things saving my life i don't know but i i'm certainly sensitive of blue lights now so uh yeah i think it's i think it's great what what the hell uh and and joe i wanted to ask you a little bit more about your your philosophy you you've brought up panama and your retreats a couple times i know we could nerd out all day on the biohacking stuff but uh, i'd love to hear more about your your travels and you know you've been so many places for spartan but you said that you needed a time to rest and work in and also work out and and connect a little bit more with yourself yeah tell me about your philosophy philosophy behind your retreats yeah matt yeah matt and and just to wrap up the previous point even if the feet on the chair does nothing what is it doing is it's keeping your health at the top of your mind and and we're deletion creatures so you see what you want to see and um when you constantly have health at the top of your mind you make better decisions so taking your shoes off or thinking just thinking about hey what happens if i put my feet on that metal your, your brain and your thinking is in the right place because when you have a more blatant decision to make shortly after, you'll make a better decision. But it all has to do with the energy that you're kind of creating in your own mind. Absolutely. Um, I love that. But yeah, Runga, you know, Runga started, I was totally burned out, went on vacation, met a rock star kind of yoga instructor, and the rest is history. You know, the next year, invited a few people and they invited a few people and now it's a thing that people sign up for and it's a really exclusive event still once a year but the philosophy is basically let's not add let's take away so in other words when we remove you can't add a positive until you remove the negatives so if i want to make a real impact and kind of give somebody a transformational experience uh you know i've been a coach in gyms for almost 15 years and it's like i can't do it here and that's why I really don't do it anymore, to be honest. It's like I can't do it here because you just came off a crazy work day. Your mind is on 300 different things. You're checking your social media, you know, during the workout. You just had, uh, you know, you're gonna have microwave food when you leave here. So it's like you gotta get people if you want to really create change and you have the opportunity to do it. 
uh, the more of those things you can remove from the equation that you don't have to counter, the better. And I, if we if we think about this in the context of our physical body, um, I would I would say it's the specific adaptations to impose demands principle, which is kind of the first thing you learn in exercise science school. The body gets good physically at what it practices the most. So if I'm a baseball player and I practice baseball, surprise, surprise, I get better at baseball. I don't get better at horseback riding. When I sit at a desk and I stress out eight hours a day, that becomes my sport. And walking into the gym and doing a 20-minute workout after 20 minutes of hip flexor stretching isn't enough to counteract a stressful workday, eight hours of sitting down, a mind and body and, and, and internal environment that's been fueled by the wrong substrates. So I bring people to – I've brought people to Costa Rica. I've brought people to Panama. Um, wherever we end up going – and we remove all that. So there's no tech, there's no screens, there's no cell phones, no computers. Um, you're, you're off the grid. There's no, um, there's no bosses. There's nowhere to be. There's no responsibilities. Your responsibility is to not allow one piece of toxic food into your body for the week. Um, it's, and by the way, that's not super hard to do. We, we have world-class chefs cooking literally the most delicious meals people have ever had. Um, and we do have some dry farm wine and stuff. We're not too stuffy, but, um, putting yourself in an environment. So there's meditation every day. There's training every day. There's yoga every day. There's, um, lectures and seminars on how to breathe, how to walk, how to run, how to avoid repetitive stress, how to biohack. Um, these folks that I bring down, like Ben Greenfield as an example, or Aaron Alexander, Scott Dolly, uh, these, these experts in the field that, um, that are teaching people day in, day out through their podcasts or manual therapy work or, or what have you, uh, they're all teaching you and you're rubbing elbows with these people all week. So it's the guy, you know, maybe you see speak at an event or listen to his podcast and now it's like, Hey, what do you think about this? So it provides a really intimate environment for people and it's really an environment of impossible failure. It's the, the location and everything there is designed to kind of propel people and, and they can really choose their own adventure. So nothing is mandatory. I mean, you don't have to meditate in the morning or, or at night. You don't have to do kettlebells every day, but it's all here. You don't have to learn to surf, but um, it's all here and people kind of choose their own adventure just like those books when we were a kid. It's like you can turn to page 47 or page 15. Um, you know, it's one of those types of things. So you really carve out the week for you and all the ingredients are there to make whatever life you want to make when you get spit out the other side. So, so that's, that's Runga in a nutshell, but breathing is really the cornerstone of it. Like I said, um, all the, all the experts we bring have one thing in common and it's understanding the power of breath or using it in a way that, that creates success in whatever discipline they teach. That's, that's great. It sounds, uh, so yeah, sounds like an awesome event. I really like how you said that you create, I believe you said location of impossible failure and what a what a great week, of course, that must be. But imagine that we could then do this in our own environments, wherever we are. We we always say for under thirty experiences, it's not about what we do on our trips. It's how you know how the travel changes you, and then what you do after. And so, uh, yeah. To, to actually, I'd love to even ask you location of impossible. Failure. Do you set that up in your own life? Where'd you, where'd you come up with that? Did that just roll off the tongue eloquently like that? 
Yeah, I made it up, but um, I'm. I think I said it once or twice before. I don't know, but but you know what's funny, Matt, is I get that question. I got that question. You know, we just did back to back weeks in Panama this year. We had seventy people, and I think that I got the question about twenty five times, and that's you started Runga to reset yourself and and to recover from the year and prepare for the following year. Well, what do you do now? Because now you're juggling 70 people off the grid. You know, how is that your vacation? And you just hit the nail on the head is, well, now I've learned how to make Runga my entire lifestyle 365 days a year and I never need a vacation because my life is a vacation. I do things every single day that don't allow me to get to that point of needing a quote vacation. And I also love what I do and I refuse to do things I don't love to do. So it's it's all of a sudden that cumulative stress load stays low and you carve out a life for yourself or you put a juve in your house or you put a bike in your office and all of a sudden you can create something on a micro scale that again adds up over time. And and yeah, why I say just a, you know, whether I said a location of impossible failure or whatever, we'll have to roll the tape. But I believe Runga creates this environment of impossible failure because you're there is nothing there that can derail you. There's it's a very specific I mean, I brought people seven hours from the airport in Panama to a beach no one ever ever heard of um, this year. And that's a very specific type of person that signs up for that event that that wants to fly to Panama, then drive seven hours. So you're not you're getting an eclectic group, you're getting a, a diverse group. I mean, we've got 17 year olds up to 75 year olds on the trip. And what's funny is last year, last year, the youngest guy and the oldest guy and another guy asked to be roommates this year and we had one triple room and um it was like how funny is this the oldest guy and the youngest guy want to be roommates that's the kind of bonds we create at runga that's age is just kind of not a thing everyone is here for the same reason with the same goals in mind and everyone is very kindred and the hosts that we bring are very strongly vetted um the people that i bring i mean i i meet people literally every weekend in this field and I've got five that I bring every single year and you know maybe add one new one um, so it's an extremely vetted group a group that I trust a group that I work with that I would put my own health in their hands and uh, thus far it, it's been going pretty well and and yeah I'll stand by that little uh, slogan there sounds like it well I might have to come and join you guys one day love that Matt you're invited Awesome. Awesome. Sounds good. Well, well, Joe, we're coming up on the hour here. If people want to interact with you or get involved with your community or find out more about what it is that you do, where can where would you send them? Yeah, so Runga Life is both the website, rungalife.com. It's also the social media handle on Instagram. Uh, we're on Facebook, and I am Coach Joe Di on both Facebook and Instagram, so you can find me there. Uh, Facebook slash Coach Joe Di and Coach Joe Di on Instagram. J O E D I. Yeah, Coach J, J Joe Di sounds good, man. Thank you very <laughs> much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Hey, Matt, this was a super awesome time. Thank you so much, and thanks for listening, everyone. Um, take care. Hey, Lift Different Podcast listeners, if you've been listening for a while, you understand how much importance that I place on yoga, meditation, adventure, travel, and being in nature. And I have all of those things set for you guys this April 24th through 30th 
with none other than former podcast guest and, of course, my girlfriend, Luz Garcia, our yoga teacher for Under 30 Experiences. We are hosting a yoga and mindfulness retreat together, and I would love if you wanted to take the next step in our relationship and come and actually hang out. I promise that I will show you a good time in Costa Rica on this eco lodge eating three organic meals per day that come from the ground there on the farm at the base of the Arenal volcano. Amazing yoga platform overlooking this beautiful little river. Uh, it is deep in the rainforest. There are all sorts of activities to get you outside of your comfort zone, whether it's the zipline canopy tour, whether it is uh, hikes through the jungle, horseback riding, uh, kayaking, anything that you guys want to do. This trip is all about you. So if you want to sign up, check us out under30experiences.com. Click Yoga in Costa Rica, and I'd love to see you there.